Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you and justly deserved your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them and sincerely repent of them. And I pray thee of thy boundless mercy for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, gracious and merciful to me, a poor sinful being. Upon this your confession, I by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad in her, all you who love her. 
that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast. Up and standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. For my brothers and my companions' sake, I will say, Peace be within you. with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Father, your mercies are new every morning, and though we deserve only punishment, you receive us as your children and provide for all our needs of body and soul. Grant that we may heartily acknowledge your merciful goodness and give thanks for all your benefits and serve you in willing obedience. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The Old Testament reading for Latare Sunday, the fourth Sunday in Lent, is written in the 16th chapter of the second book of Moses, commonly called the Exodus, beginning at the second verse. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the entire assembly with hunger. 
Then the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my teachings or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they are to bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, Say unto the whole congregation of the sons of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. As soon as Aaron spake to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say unto them, At twilight you shall eat meat, in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost upon the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said unto them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it is each of you as much as he can eat. And you shall take each an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the sons of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. And when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left. And whoever gathered little had no lack. And each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said unto them, Let no one leave any of it until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. The epistle lesson is written in the fourth chapter of St. Paul's letter to the churches at Galatia, beginning at the 21st verse. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by the free. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. 
for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brethren, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Those who trust the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. From this time forth and forevermore, peace be upon Israel. The gospel is written in the gospel of St. John, beginning at the first verse. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of, of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs which he was doing upon the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain. And there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said unto Philip, Where are we to buy bread that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not be enough to buy enough bread each for each to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves and left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the gospel of the Lord.
and believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father and he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Innumerable accidents reports contain sentences such as, quote, the pair decided to solo the first few 5.5, that is, easy pitches at the same time. Solo in rock climbing means to climb without placing in protection. Or, quote, the group was in a hurry to descend after spending longer on the ascent than they had expected, unquote. Or a classic, he took a shortcut. Numerous examples um, <clears throat> seek to explain the decisions that led to accidents. Peer pressure, scheduling, misperceptions, disregarding instincts, and they all fit too, they do. There may have been, you know, peer pressure in the Mount Hood incident. See, Mount Hood incident was, there were a bunch of teams climbing Mount Hood one day, and the weather had changed, it had gotten warmer, so that the snow underneath the ice began to melt. And there was a group of four experienced climbers, and they were coming down from the summit. They had already summited Mount Hood, and they were coming down. But normally, what you do is you, you belay, you have ropes between the climbers that, that are about maybe eight feet, six to eight feet between each, each guy. But they had decided to string them out like 70 feet, 50 feet. And so when the guy at the top lost his, his ice axe arrest, he came loose from the ice. When he, by the time he hit the next guy on the ice, it was like, like a Volkswagen on the edge of that rope. There was that much force. So it pulled that guy out and pulled the guy out and pulled the last guy out. And they all went tumbling down into a crevasse and three of the four died. The guy on top survived barely. And all because they did, they did something they should never have done. They broke the rules. So now three, three sets of kids are orphaned from their father, three sets of widows, three, there are three new widows, and one guy who will never be the same. And we see this in a lot of areas of, of life, a lot of situations where group dynamics can be a powerful motivator. It is well documented that co-pilots almost never contradict the pilot. Seamen almost never contradict the ship's captain, and many times to disastrous results. <clears throat> it is often true that, that experienced climbers will be reluctant to challenge the others with experience. And going into a risky operation, doctors won't challenge other doctors. Cops won't challenge other cops. And so it's no surprise that none of the climbers that day wanted to be the one to say, I can't handle this, or I don't think this is a good idea, or I've got a bad feeling about this. But they should have. And so today's gospel lesson, Jesus, though, is challenging his disciples. He sees the great multitude coming, and so he raises the question immediately. How are we going to feed them? Where are we going to get the food to feed them from? Right? Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And he said it to them to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. See, here we see... Jesus confronting his disciples, who are the church's, late, the church's pastoral leadership, with a crucial question. How will God's sheep be fed? Right? Because later on in John 21, 17, J 
Jesus says to Peter, if you love me, sure I love you, then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. So the church's mission is to feed God's sheep. But with what? With what do we feed Jesus' sheep with? See, this situation is very similar to our Old Testament lesson that we just heard a few minutes ago from Exodus. And it's also very similar to an incident later on that happens in Numbers 11. See, in Exodus, the, the people are in the wilderness and there's no food. And so they begin to complain. Oh, we wish we were back in Egypt where we had all that good bread and all that good meat and all that good food. It was so good. The leeks and the onions and all that good stuff. And you, you pastor, have led us out into the wilderness to kill the assembly with, with starvation, with hunger. And then God gives them manna. And he gives them quail. So that they have meat and they have bread. But then later on in Numbers 11, what happens? The same thing. The same thing. The sons of Israel wept and said, Oh, we, 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 we had meat to eat. We remember the fish, all the fish that we freely ate in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, and the garlic. All the garlic. Now our whole bean is dried up. There is nothing except this manna. Oh, this manna before our eyes. And then Moses heard the people weeping, and Moses said unto the Lord, Where, where am I going to get meat? And of course, God then sent the quail again. See, just like in Numbers 11 and also in Exodus from our Old Testament lesson for today, God has a plan. God sent manna, God sent quail. Later on, he sent more quail. God has a plan. Even though when, when it comes to God and his plans, we really don't understand the mechanism behind them. We really don't understand how he does what he does. But he does do it, right? Just like the Lord's Supper. What is the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is the body and blood of Christ under the veils of bread and wine. But how is it the body and blood of Christ? When we see only bread, we see only wine. But it is. And why is it? Well, for more than 500 years, we Lutherans have confessed that it is because God's word says it is. And God's word creates the reality that it says. So God says, let there be light. And there is light, even though there's no sun or stars for several more days. Because God's word creates the reality of what it says. And this is, illustrates how God feeds us today. When we look at our gospel lesson, what happens? Philip answered Jesus and said, 200 denarii worth of bread is insufficient for them, that every one of them should have a little bit. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter, Simon Peter's brother, <clears throat> said unto him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves, really breadsticks, we call them breadsticks today, and two fishes. And, and they're not massive fishes, they're just like basically dried fish, like a, almost like a fish jerky. But what are they among so many? Five barley loaves, two small fish. Five barley loaves, two small fish. And this is the answer. But we wouldn't see it as an answer, would we? Would we see this as an answer? No, no we wouldn't. We would be like, this is impossible. This would never work. And this illustrates why our Christianity is so fragile. And why our faith is so weak. Because we want to walk by, by sight and not by faith. 
be like a sure thing. We don't want to step out into the darkness. We don't want to wonder where our next meal is coming from, do we? No, we don't. Of course not. And yet faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things that are visible. Right? God creates ex nihilo out of nothing. But we want to see visible things. We do. We really do. For our sin-corrupted intellect, our sin-corrupted hearts, for us, seeing is believing. And that's why we lack faith. So the answer is invisible to us, that even though that's right in front of their faces. Five barley loaves, two small fish. Right? And yet they don't see how, how 5,000 can be fed with this. Thus Jesus' question doesn't fit human logic, does it? No, it doesn't. And yet, Jesus says in Matthew 19, 26, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. There he was referring to if a rich man could be saved. But I mean, it's the same thing, right? With God, all things are possible. God can do all things. There's no word too hard for God. And we witness this. In this gospel lesson today, we witness that there's nothing too hard for God. Because what happens after Jesus takes, takes and, 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 and you know, gives thanks, he gives it to the disciples, the, the, the 5,000 eat as much as they want, both the bread and the fish. And then they gathered up 12 baskets full of the fragments of the barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. 12 baskets. Think about that. 12 big baskets full of leftovers. Therefore, Jesus proves in today's gospel lesson that he can do what the world cannot understand. Nothing is impossible for him. Nothing is too much for him. Why? Because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that flows from the mouth of God. Secondly, the tools Jesus uses aren't the ones that we use or that we see as valid because Jesus uses his word and his word alone is sufficient to create a universe or to create lunch, right? I mean, never would an experienced executive chef say, wow, we got five barley loaves and two fish. We got this. We got it. We'll figure it out. No big deal. We, no, we cancel the event. And this is, this is the way most leaders in the church in the 20th and now the 21st century have been behaving for the last 50, 60 years too much, right? For some reason, the leadership of the churches, both lay and clerical, have lost confidence in the scriptures and have lost confidence in Jesus' ability to do what he says he'll do. And so instead of relying upon God's word and God's sacraments, we have to invent all kinds of gimmicks and all kinds of big switches to try to coax people into God's house to hear his word and receive his grace. So we've done what Jesus warned us not to do. We've turned his house into a house of merchandise rather than a house of prayer. And it needs to end. <clears throat> no, Jesus' language here is sacramental. 
John's language here is sacramental. Jesus said, make the people sit down. And Jesus took the loaves. And then we, when he had given thanks, and the word for given thanks here in the Greek is Euchariste. He Eucharisted them. He gave thanks. This is the language of holy communion. I know many in the 21st century deny that. They say, oh, that's not sacramental. But it most certainly is. The ancient fathers all viewed it as sacramental. Just look at the language. John's language here in John is that of the, of the Eucharist. In fact, the, the ones that tick, pick, pick up the bread, they are, called, they, they are engaging in liturgia. They're engaging in the liturgy. Yes. And the Eucharist is synonymous with Holy Communion. Not only that, but isn't, isn't, isn't Holy Communion... Seen by the world, by those who lack faith, is nothing. I mean, the world looks at communion, what do they see? They see a little piece of bread and a little sip of wine. It's nothing. It's nothing. And yet we, we know by looking at the bread and the wine through the eyes of God's word, by looking at it with our ears, the ears, by seeing it with our ears and not with our human eyes, we know that it is the body and blood of Christ given and shed for sinners to eat and drink, to receive the forgiveness of sins. We know that because God's word shows it to us. And yet how many of our churches, how many of our Lutheran churches see this as unimportant, as simply a, an unnecessary extension of time for worship on Sunday because we've got so many important things to do. To waste 20 more minutes. I mean, it, my, Sunday's my only day off. And yet it's interesting, isn't it? That if you go into the catacombs of ancient Rome and you go to the first century catacombs, the ones, the, the second century catacombs, the ones from the 100s, the Anno Domini 100s below Rome, where the Christians buried their martyred dead, you will find depictions on the walls of the multiplication of loaves and fishes, which is what they call this incident in St. John. And you will see that they connected it with the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. In fact, in Egypt, the late 2nd century, the late 100s, Christian by the name of Abericus at Heropolis, in his, in his, in his tomb mentions the fish, the ichthys, as symbolizing Christ and the bread and wine of the Eucharist together. Again, another point of congruence with this, this miracle of the multiplication of loaves and fishes. And so it's no wonder that the ancient Christians saw the Lord's Supper as connected to the feeding of the 5,000. It is. It's a precursor, no doubt. That's the way the ancient Christians, the ones who had known the apostles and were taught by the apostles, that's what they believed. And I'll take their opinion over a 20th or 21st century skeptic Christian any day. So, this, so take Holy Communion this morning, as we take Holy Communion this morning, it makes sense that the little bit of bread and the sip of wine, which the world, as I said, sees as insignificant and unable to do anything, yet we Christians know that it does everything because it gives us the very forgiveness of sins. And how do we know this? Well, as Lutheran Christians, we confess 
that this is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, the same Lord Jesus Christ that sacrificed himself for our sins upon his cross, this piece of artwork represents. And that it was instituted by Christ himself on the very night in which he was betrayed. And what is the benefit of such eating and drinking? Well, we know from Martin Luther's small catechism that this is shown to us by the words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Namely, that in the sacrament, forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation are given to us through these words. For where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. And that's why we come to receive the sacraments. We do it every Sunday. Why? Because as somebody said yesterday, I was listening to somebody yesterday who said in my presence, they said they were concerned that they were going to die that their family members were going to die. And they're right. We're all going to die. And it is given man once to die and then the judgment. But what then? How will we be judged? Well, Jesus Christ, through his own body and blood, sacrificed upon the cross, that body and blood gives us the forgiveness of sins. So we who eat his flesh and drink his blood, we know that we have eternal life given to us by grace through faith. So that when we die and when we are judged, God's verdict upon us will be innocent. In the name of Jesus. Amen.
receive these gifts that serve us on the altar in the preaching of the holy gospel. In the name of the Lord we pray. Amen. Welcome this morning. It's good to have all of you here. Um, this, the, you know, we have the sausage dinner going on till I think two o'clock this afternoon. So if y'all want to go uh, take advantage of that, certainly you would. We would encourage you to. It's very good. I've, I've eaten lunch there both days. It's very excellent. Um, and that's also our major fundraiser for our youth and uh, youth programs here at the church. So that'd be great. Also Wednesday, because it's Lent, we have matins in the morning at 11 a.m. And we also have vespers in the evening at 6. And there's a meal following both, if you notice in the blue news. And then also uh, I have a a Friday morning Bible study at at 6 a.m. in the fellowship hall. And I do a Zoom on Tuesday from 10 to 11. And then also we'll do it on Friday. We decided to switch to Fridays 10 to 1130 as well. And the, how to get onto there is it should be on the Blue News or should be on the bulletin. And if you or if you don't have it, just call me. I'll get you on. Um, yeah, those are the main major announcements. We have a couple things just to kind of bring you up to speed on. One is Tommy Heil. Tommy Heil usually attends first service. He uh, died on Monday at UAB in palliative care. Monday I drove up there to see him, and uh, he actually died while I was with him, giving him um, the commendation. Of the dying so that was that was good he said in fact he told his daughter uh, between services she told me <clears throat> that he said he was gonna hang he was gonna hang in there till I got there on Monday and he did that's what happened so I was with him and it was it's always um, a beautiful thing to see a believer depart in peace according to the work of the Lord so that was it was really a blessing and then also Colton Holloman who is the little boy from Concordia who uh, had, a, had his larynx reconstructed two weeks ago he is now home. I visited him on Monday at UAB as well at the Children's Hospital there, but he is now home as of yesterday, and he's going to be on restriction for a couple weeks, so we won't see him at Concordia, but, but he is doing better, and, and thanks all of y'all for, their, for your prayers. The Lord be with you. And by, by the way, the Heil funeral will be this Thursday. Sorry, will be this Thursday. At, it'll be just a graveside in Alberta at the Lutheran Cemetery at 10 o'clock for those who are able or wanting to attend that, you're certainly invited to. Lord be with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace that is but from above and for the well-being of the churches of Christ and the godly unity of all Christendom, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house and for those who in faith, piety, and the fear of God offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. For Matthew and Eric, our shepherds and bishops in Christ, for all pastors and teachers and all people, let us pray to the Lord. For our nation and all our people, for our president and Congress, our governor and legislature, our judges and magistrates, and all who serve in public office, let us pray to the Lord. For the sick and the sorrowing, for those who mourn, for those who are in need and distress, for the homebound and the infirm, especially we pray this day for Doris and Alice. We pray for um, Melissa and Joyce, for Mary and Mark, Eddie and Norma, for Kim and Suzette, for Bonnie and Gray, for, for Bob and Martha, for Marilyn and Dean, Terry and Chris, Marion and Meredith, 
for James and George, Larry Dean and Earl, Suzette and Bob and Mallory and Mark, Hank and Haley, Jay and Tracy, Michelle and Carl, Karen and Jimmy, for Tina and Ainsley, Kevin and Ron, for Jesse and Ralph, for Theo and Easton, for Doug and Hugh and Waylon and Ryan, and we also pray for the families of our, of our parish who mourn, especially for the Bolton and Heil families, the Stillman family, the Blackwell and Cooper family, the Williams family, the Blunt and Davis family, the Chant family, the Tatum family, the Rogers family, the Gross family, the Floriansig and Parsons family, and the Freeman family. We also pray, Heavenly Father, for those serving in our country's armed forces, especially Riley, Paul, Turner, Paul, and, and Hayden. And we pray also, Heavenly Father, for, for uh, our university students, including Minnie, Noah, Harrison, Katie, Dylan, Aiden, and Jacob. And we pray, Heavenly Father, also for those to whom death is drawing near and for us all, that when our last hour shall come, we may depart this life in the confidence of the sure faith, the consolation of a right, devout, and holy hope, and in the communion of Christ, holy church, let us pray to the Lord. Recalling those who've gone before us in the faith and rejoicing to share with them the Sabbath rest which Christ has won for his people, that together with them we may be found faithful in the day of judgment and rejoice in the day of the resurrection of the dead, let us pray to the Lord. We, we pray especially this day for the Heil family and all those who mourn uh, the death of Tommy Heil. Have compassion, O Lord, upon all who mourn the death of Tommy Heil, upon all who are lonely and desolate because of this death. Be thou their comforter and friend, and give unto them such earthly solace as thou seekest to be best for them. And bring them to a fuller knowledge of thy love, and wipe away all their tears. For the sake of Jesus Christ, thy Son, O Lord, we pray. And we also give thanks for the healing of Colton Holloman and his continued recovery. O oh Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have looked down from heaven, beheld and visited your servant Colton, for whom we have offered up our supplications. We ask you, Heavenly Father, that you would continue to look upon him with the eyes of thy mercy and continue to comfort him and give him sure confidence in thee. That you will continue to defend him from the dangers of the enemy and keep him in perpetual safety and peace. Through the merits of Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, we pray, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. 